Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. With me, as always, is my colleague, Ellie Mistal. How are you doing? Uh, yeah. You know, Ellie had a rough weekend because uh, he got vomited upon several times. I'm sure that wasn't pleasant. Yes, my uh, four-year-old woke up in the middle of the night and decided that he needed to puke. Luckily, he said, Mommy, Mommy, before he did it. So my wife is the one who... who who caught it? Who had to? Who Ooh, had to sh- okay. shoulder the weight? Um, but you know, I was there, so it wasn't great for me either. Right? Yeah. No. The uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds um, that sounds awful. Um, thankfully, I've never had to deal with that. Dude, I'm still reeling from the Super Bowl. I basically have no friends anymore because most of my uh, friends from college are Patriots fans, and now we don't talk. So that's great. That's, that's a great shame. For me. I mean, it's a shame that your friends are Patriots fans. I, um, I know that's what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. It was. Uh, it was a, it was a brutal ending. It, what really was a disappointing about it is people say it was such a great Super Bowl. I don't really remember watching many of the individual plays because I watched just enough for it to get to about twenty-eight to three, and then I stopped watching and started enjoying the conversations with the people around me until the very end, when all of a sudden the horror fell upon us. It felt, it honestly, felt just like election night. Like my everything that happened in my house on election night happened pretty much in the exact same way with pretty much the exact same pacing as it did on election night. It was anyway, you know what? Because of that, because of that, I actually don't want to grind my gears on something negative today. Ooh, okay. I I have something positive to say. You ready for this? All ears. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to use this brief time I have in front of a microphone to applaud pretty much every freaking lawyer out there because lawyers right now are on the front lines. They're on the back lines. They are the line of defense to this administration. And I'm just every day. The only thing that kind of keeps me getting out of bed is to actually read about and sometimes report on some of the work lawyers across this country are doing. It's, it's been amazing. If you think about it, Trump's main adversary right now are about like eight or nine state attorney generals, right? Like they're the ones taking the fight to him. People have lauded Judge Robart, um, the, uh, the district court um, out, in, out in Washington. That's a Bush appointee judge sticking it to Donald Trump. The Ninth Circuit decision, people forget. Yes, the Ninth Circuit is weird. That was 3-0. Even the conservative judge was against Trump. It really feels right now like, and don't even get me started on the ACLU, right? Which actually, not only is it doing great work, it's, it right now has more money than it ever has before. Lawyers right now, big and small, heralded and unheralded, are just putting in the work right now. And it's it's nice. It's nice to see. Yeah, actually, that's an excellent segue to our interview. So today, we've got a great interview. We're talking to Gordon Kaplan of Wilkie Farr, who is going to talk about a case that they're doing pro bono to help out somebody who was actually a victim of that executive order and potentially a serious victim because it was a little girl who needed some, some desperately needed some medical care. And they, uh, they worked 
and uh, successfully managed to get her over here for her surgery. So we wanted to talk to Gordon Kaplan. He's the co-chair of Wilkie Farr, and we interviewed him a little bit earlier today, so we're going to join that interview now in progress. Well, let's talk to our next guest, who is Gordon Kaplan. He's the co-chair of Wilkie Farr, and he's a partner in their private equity group. But we're going to talk to him today more about his pro bono work, which he's had a fairly high-profile pro bono case in the in recent headlines because of the immigration order that we've all been tracking. Welcome to the show, Gordon, and we want to talk to you about uh, the case of Alma Kashkuli. Not that private equity is not fascinating. Don't, don't get us wrong there. <laughs> well, it's fascinating right. to me, um, but thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, yeah, so we all kind of followed, obviously, the outpouring of lawyers doing pro bono work, going down to airports. Uh, you have a, a high-profile case where you've got a – well, just tell us a little bit more about Alma's case. It's kind of a unique one involving a medical emergency and, uh, sure. and somebody who's been here a few times. The case involved a 11-year-old girl from Iran named Alma Kashkuli. Her mother is an LLM student uh, at Fordham Law School. And Alma has a very rare disorder called uh, glycosylation, which causes all sorts of disabilities, including inhibits speech and the ability to walk. Um, but it also has very serious side effects on sight. and. Alma, and it's a very rare disorder, very few people have it, Alma was slowly going blind. Uh, there are only, unfortunately, two uh, surgical centers in the world that really have a specialty in this area, and they're both based in the United States. One is Pittsburgh Children's Hospital, and the other is based in San Diego. Alma had, for a few years, been going back and forth from Tehran to the United States, to Pittsburgh Children's Center, um, uh, Children's Hospital, for treatment. That was part of the reason why her mother, who is a lawyer in Tehran, who represents uh, people who are uh, dissidents effectively, mm. she came to the United States in part so that she could be closer to the medical treatment for her daughter. She started her LLM program in September of last year uh, and had a scheduled visit with Alma to the United States on January 31st. The morning of January 31st, I was having breakfast. I just happened to be having breakfast with Dean Matthew Diller, the dean of Fordham Law School. Uh, I figured he was going to hit me up for money. He didn't. Uh, <laughs> he just He just mentioned that they had this LLM student who was being prevented from bringing her severely disabled daughter into the United States for some very necessary surgery. And I simply said, that's awful. What can we do? Uh, and that led to our helping Alma get into the country to see her mother and to uh, get rushed to Pittsburgh Children's Hospital for some surgery to hopefully save her eyesight. Yeah, so... You know, we this week actually had a actually this week and last we were doing a little contest about the most the craziest lawyer travel story. We were collecting some stories from other lawyers, but 
given this order, one of the things that I noted about your case is that her mother couldn't go pick up Alma because she couldn't risk leaving the country and not being able to come back. So you had to send an associate all the way to uh, Turkey to pick up Alma? That's exactly right. (laughs) We couldn't risk uh, Fahima Kashkuli, the mother, flying out of the United States and going anywhere, or else she's on a F-1, a valid F-1 visa. Alma had a valid F-2 visa, which is a derivative of an F-1 visa. And we couldn't risk Fahima, who is an Iranian citizen, leaving the United States because we weren't sure she'd be able to get back in. So we had to make travel arrangements for Alma, who clearly can't travel on her own, to come into the United States. The father is still in Tehran. The caregiver, the 24-hour caregiver that they have for this child was obviously still in Tehran. So we came up with a logistical program to get Alma outside of Iran so that we could send people to pick her up outside of Iran and bring her back into the United States without anybody of Iranian citizenship other than Alma traveling with us. That was a logistical challenge, as you can imagine, with an 11-year-old girl flying out of a country um, that obviously does not have terrific relationships with the United States. Yeah. I was wondering from, from kind of the Wilkie perspective, like how do you guys become essentially experts enough in this to handle something like this. One of the things that I've definitely noticed um, as we try to report on some of this stuff is that, you know, kind of lawyers with specialties as wide ranging from, you know, as you as your specialty, private equity, are being kind of pressed into this particular kind of uh, immigration law. How do you skill up? How do you skill up so quickly? Yeah, that's a great question. The reality is I don't think anybody can claim to be an expert in this. This was a brand new executive order. Uh, It was clearly being tested in the courts. Immigration lawyers are still studying it and trying to figure out how it applies to both green card holders, visa holders, citizens, and otherwise. Constitutional lawyers are arguing about it. To us, this was just a logistical and legal challenge to help an 11-year-old girl who desperately needed help. So the incentive to gear up on it was this was an 11-year-old girl that needed help. High. Right, Right. very high. Um, And we had so many people wanting to help that it was an overabundance of people trying to get into this case for us. The expertise was definitely a learning experience, but we've had since the order came out through the administration, we've had people in our D.C. office and New York focused on it and trying to help people on valid visas and green cards work through the issues, clients, paying clients and pro bono clients alike. Um, So I think we're in very good company trying to figure out this new landscape. Well, were you going to ask something, Ellie? The airport question, like we heard stories about various lawyers being harassed at the airports um, as this executive order was coming down, kind of between the executive order and the Ninth Circuit stay. A lot of stories about lawyers being harassed at the airports. Did anybody on your team experience any of that? Not that I'm aware of, no. Okay, that's good, yeah. Not at the U.S. airports. Ah. We did have issues, and again, harassment's not the right word, but there were issues when uh, my associate, a terrific young superstar named Shama Hussein flew over from New York, frankly, 
it wasn't quite that she volunteered to fly over. She didn't give anybody else the choice. She just said, I'm going. Um, when she flew over to Istanbul <laughs> to pick up Alma, there was, there was no way anybody was going to stop her. So it wasn't that she was harassed when she was in Istanbul to try to get Alma back here into the United States. It was just the logistical challenges you can imagine of a little girl doesn't know Shema. Uh, clearly, he's never seen her before. So you had the emotional challenge. She was leaving her dad. And then convincing the authorities that some stranger could take an 11-year-old girl, disabled girl, across international borders. She almost didn't make the flight. And they were literally closing uh, the gate doors as they snuck in. Right, I, I think it was with like a minute and a half left. It was almost like a spy novel. Getting uh, them into... The airplane, if they had missed that flight, uh, the whole thing could have come to naught. It was pure legal um, intuition, but frankly, more than that, just unbelievable uh, street smarts uh, from Shema to be able to navigate that um, uh, in Istanbul. Wow. Wow. So, obviously, by the time Alma got to the United States, Judge Robart had already issued his order, and so the ban was, you know, temporarily lifted there. And, you know, since then we've had the Ninth Circuit affirm that. Right. But assuming that hadn't happened, what uh, did you have plans or any steps for what you were going to do next to help Alma if if you didn't have that uh, Judge Robart's order in your, in your arsenal? Yeah, I understand that Judge Robart's decision uh, came down. And the way the media portrayed the decision is that this was a stay and that it was then immediately affirmed by the appeals court. That's not what the appeals court did. The appeals court just said, we need to hear uh, and see briefs on this the following Monday. So we basically had a three-day window because there was some significant concern that the appeals court would make a decision that night, Monday night, after they heard the briefing because things were moving so fast, and the, that's frankly what the government wanted them to do, to make a decision right on the fly. Our window of opportunity was Friday night to Monday, and we had to get a little girl, little disabled girl in a wheelchair from Tehran to Istanbul. We had to get somebody to Istanbul to pick her up and back into the United States, all within that window knowing that if a plane was delayed, they missed a flight, we could be facing um, the overturn of Judge Robart's stay. So we had an, uh, an entire plan in place. We had a, a special dispensation waiver uh, filed in light of the medical situation. We had a habeas brief ready to be filed in federal court in Brooklyn in the event that we couldn't get her into the country. It, if there was a problem at customs, my partner, uh, Rich Mancino, was literally on the courthouse steps in Brooklyn, federal courthouse in, in Brooklyn, Eastern District, ready to file those papers if there was any trouble at JFK. So we had a full team ready to go, all the papers drafted. And in the end, she just, it was such a beautiful scene. She came off the plane, Shema sent me and my partner a text saying, we're coming off the plane now. I was, I think I was almost as nervous as when my first kid was born. Um, <laughs> the little girl, there's this huge crowd around, bunch of uh, CNN is there, Reuters is there. And 
the little girl, the first thing I see her do is give a huge yawn. Big open mouth yawn. <laughs> and it was just so normal. It's just what a little girl does, you know, getting off of a long flight. Uh, and it was just relief. Because really, at customs, nothing happened. We got in right before the plane landed an hour before briefing was heard at the Ninth Circuit. No, fantastic story. So, obviously, you have a team of folks from litigation. You're you're from a corporate side. Like, it, are we really seeing? You know, you said you have a lot of folks in both Washington and New York working on this. Is this really becoming kind of a all hands on deck? People coming from all practice groups and coming together to skill up on this. Yeah, that's certainly part of it. But I think, look, Wilkie has a history, a very long history, and sort of a, not sort of, definitely a culture of community service and pro bono, and it's core to what we do. I think litigators are better known for their pro bono work because it's, you know, it's like TV. It's the litigation that you see in courtrooms. But there's plenty of pro bono work that is not seen that is more corporate in nature. Uh, a lot of my corporate partners, including me, uh, serve on or chair boards of not-for-profits. The city is a capital of some of the best not-for-profits in the world. So a lot of corporate partners do pro bono work and charity work, one, because I think that's what we like to do and enjoy it, but it's also key to our culture. And I don't think we're that unique in that. A lot of our Competitor law firms have similar sense of community service, but it's very important here. And when a clarion call like this went out, again, I can't exaggerate this enough. When I sent this message out to my litigation partners, I was flooded, flooded with requests to get involved in this um, That's uh, internally uh, across all our offices. So it was literally an exercise of limiting who was working on it so it wouldn't get too complicated. <laughs> you mentioned a little bit how this affects also, you know, your paying clients. Uh, I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit more. One of the one of the issues that I always try to bring up is, you know, my wife uh, happens to be uh, an immigrant, legal status, and and all that nice stuff. But it's still it's a real issue. Um, not just I th- I think when we think about pro bono, we think about really helping the needy, helping the indigent um, at some level. This is an issue that's affecting uh, everybody. Um, sure. and, I, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, some of the issues, some of your even the the paying clients are, are having navigating this world. Yeah, and leaving the politics aside, it's really just a question of what is the law, how does it apply, and how do I as a business, as an employer of people that may come from some of these countries, or as the principal, the person who works here or is studying here, or the kid of a, of a client that is working here or studying here, um, get into the country to do what their visas or their green cards were meant for. Working through that has become a challenge because this is new territory for all of us. And it's and we definitely work with our colleagues and uh, specialists in immigration law, but it's, it's a challenge to them too. So it's very much a question of studying up. Rich Mancino, it, this is an area he's worked in quite a bit and has a lot of familiarity in it. it. He's not an immigration lawyer, but he is a litigator who's done a lot of pro bono work in this area and is a very quick study. 
a lot of this is the logistical challenge of working through the issues, but also making sure that the clients are prepared for these things as they come down. So if we have clients that have people that are from those parts of the world or have spouses um, from those parts of the world, then we've been helping them with it on a regular basis. How is the market kind of reacting, Not again, politics aside, um, how is the market kind of reacting uh, not just to to this uh, particular uh, travel ban, but the general, uh, I guess the word that the word that they use on Bloomberg all the time is uncertainty uh, with this administration. Yeah, I, look, that's a, that's a much broader question. All I could tell you is that from a pro bono matter, uh, we look at each case individually. The Alma Kashkuli case was heart-wrenching, and there were no politics involved at all. This was about getting a little girl into the country. As to uncertainty, there's uncertainty in government policy all the time. What we try to do here is keep our clients as well-informed as possible, keep ourselves as well-informed as possible, and work through the issues as they arise. Excellent. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Like, We really wanted to hear more about this, and I'm glad that you had some time to take to chat with us. That's, again, it's Gordon Kaplan from Wilkie Farr. Thank you so much. Truly my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thanks for your service. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for highlighting it. So, yeah, that's the end for us on another episode. By the way, if you aren't already subscribed to Thinking Like a Lawyer, you should do that through whatever podcasting app you utilize. You should also give us reviews and stars, and that helps us move up the chain and become more visible to more people. Uh, you should also download the Legal Talk Network app. You can listen to our shows there and hear everything as it's first released. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. Ellie's at L-E-N-Y-C. And, and I'm uh, spitting hot fire. Exactly. And, uh, and I'm, you know... I'm gearing up to talk about the college basketball tournament. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so the, in between hot law takes, there will be a bunch of grinding of gears about where we get seated. So, uh, yeah, so with all that, I think we're done, uh, and we'll check you out on a future episode. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.